Welcome to What Happened Next, a podcast about newish books. My name is Nathan Whitlock, and I'm a writer. On this podcast, I speak to other writers about what happens when their new book is no longer new, and it's time to write another one. I've already had a lot of great conversations about the weirdness and pleasure of being a writer, so please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you do enjoy these episodes, which go up every Monday morning without fail, please tell other people about them. I do this on my own, so it helps a lot. If you want to send me a suggestion for a future guest, or comment on an episode, or just find out more about what I am doing, I have books of my own, hint, hint, please go to nathanwhitlock.ca. My guest on this episode is Amy Jones. And before I tell you about Amy, I want to let you know that she will be appearing at the second annual Sharp Words Book Fair in Hamilton, Ontario, on February 24th at Bridgeworks in Hamilton, where there will be vendors and booths and authors and on-stage panels happening all day, including an afternoon panel on author podcasts that I will be participating in, talking about this very podcast. And in the evening, there will be a literary cabaret that I will be co-hosting with Amy, at which there will be a bunch of great authors performing, not reading, performing, as in with a band, Authors like Lana Button, Denise DaCosta, Alicia Elliott, Joyce Grant, Liz Harmer, Melissa Kuypers, Joel Ullman, Greg Rhino, Mike Schollers, and Megan Strymus, whose birthday it was this past weekend. Happy birthday, Megan. The whole event is free and licensed. You can find a link to more information about the Sharp Words Book Fair at nathanwhitlock.ca. And now to Amy Jones. Amy is the author of What Boys Like, a collection of stories published in 2009 by Biblioasis, and the novels We're All in This Together and Every Little Piece of Me, published in 2016 and 2019, respectively, by McClellan and Stewart. A film version of We're All in This Together, directed by and starring Kate Boland, was released in 2021. Amy's most recent book, Pebble and Dove, was published by McClellan and Stewart, in 2023. The Toronto Star called Pebble and Dove a rollicking read and said that, quote, as we bid goodbye to Jones's vividly imagined creatures, their weirdly endearing humanity lingers in our minds long after the final page. Amy and I talk about how her parallel life as a dancer connects with her writing, about the writing career she thought she was going to have after the success of her first novel, and about the fake reality show that keeps making cameos in her novels and that she might one day, maybe, write a whole book about. Most writers I know have some sort of outlet in their lives that is primarily physical because writing is such a boring sitting in a chair brain thing. You know, there's like the writer dudes who box. Randy Boyagoda, who I interviewed on this podcast, does pickleball. Claire Cameron goes on these long like treks in the woods and into Algonquin Park. You dance and you dance fairly frequently. I'm wondering, did the dancing predate the writing? And is there are there any is there any relationship between the two things in your mind? Or are you very careful to keep those two worlds very much apart. 
I mean, I guess that like I sort of came to them both like intermittently. Like I wasn't one of those people who like started writing uh, the minute I was born. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I have, I've, I've always like had a ton of different interests. So I was never really sure that I wanted to like super focus on being a writer. Like I went, um, actually did my undergrad in theater. So I have, um, like a performing background. I really, really thought that I was going to be a performer. I love being on stage. I love, um, you know, performing for people. So I thought this is going to be my career path. And then I, right. Realized quite quickly that um, being an actor sucks. Like, just did you do, I mean, did you do a lot of plays? Were you doing a lot? Of I life? did when when I was in Halifax. I yeah, I was um, part of a an independent theater company in Halifax for a while after I graduated, um, and I I loved it. Like, I loved doing that. But when I thought about like how to make a life doing that, it was uh, really daunting. Like the idea of you know, so I mean, I was in Halifax. It's like we would perform to like you know, occasionally we would have maybe 10 people, <laughs> you know, it was, it was that kind of, right. um, yeah. And like the, the thought of like, you know, moving to Toronto and like starting to go on auditions and stuff like that, just, it just seemed so grueling and, you know, I'm quite lazy. <laughs> um, so I, you know, I was like, yeah, I don't think this is the life for me. So, um, you know, what do I want my life to look like? But I always really liked writing and, you know, so I thought maybe I'll try that. So that's sort of how I started to come to writing. So, um, you know, with the theater, obviously, like, you know, came a lot of like, perf like movement and dance and stuff like that. So that's sort of where I started that. Um, but it's also where I started writing because I started taking playwriting workshops as well. And so I sort of actually started my writing career in playwriting, if you can call it that. It was did you <laughs> did you ever get to perform any plays like did that production that did that company ever do? Something um, written? No, in fact, I specifically was like, I didn't do that. <laughs> Right. <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't feel like I was like I I I wrote a couple plays that like got performed in student productions when I was an undergrad, and I I realized quite quickly um, how little control you have once you if you write a script. And I'm I'm guessing it's probably the same with uh, like similar with screenwriting as well, where you know you write a script and then you have to uh, hand it off to someone else, and they get to interpret it, like the director and the actors and the you know the designers and everybody sort mm -hmm. of puts their own vision on it and I did not like that at all I was like right. this is, pictured it to be in my head but also I couldn't be in charge of everything like you know as much as I wanted to I could I wasn't going to be able to unless I was doing like you know a one-woman show that I directed and designed and everything else so that wasn't going right. to happen so I specifically was like no I don't want to do anything like that um you know I was happy sort of keeping those things separate at that time um and I guess that's kind of how it's evolved like um you know once I started uh sort of focusing on my writing um as a career I yeah I really quickly and you know I'm sure that other writers you've talked to have had the same thing where you know a, you realize that you are in your own head all day long and you really sort of mm. need to do something to get out of it. Um, and, you know, I have I have different outlets that, you know, aren't necessarily like, you know, even just like I'm like, I'm a terrible cook, but I love cooking just because like chopping vegetables, like you chop them and then you put them in a pot and you cook them and you've done something tangible um, right. that you can actually like, you know, eat. Uh, whereas with writing, sometimes it feels like you're just sort of, you know, digging a hole that keeps filling up with sand again um so yeah with the with the dance it was kind of the same thing where I you know I needed like the second thing was that like I realized that I needed to not just be sitting on my ass all day <laughs> um you know it's just it wasn't good for me like physically or mentally um so I just I sort of like tentatively got back into it around the same time I would say that I was starting to you know really sort of focus once I stopped um 
you know, there was a period of time where I was, you know, working like five different jobs and they were all retail and I was like running around and there was just no, like I was exhausted all the time. So there was mm-hmm. no, there like, it didn't really like click in that maybe I needed to do something physical until, yeah, until I started like transitioning into, um, you know, being able to let go of some of those retail jobs and transitioning into doing some freelance writing and editing and stuff like that and teaching when I was like, so when I wasn't writing, I was still just sitting on my computer. Um, and yeah, I feel like with dance, it's like, um, like I see a lot of corollaries with writing, um, especially when, you know, you're working on a choreographed piece. It's like, you know, I, I, um, you know, I'm, I'm very detail oriented. So I like to, you know, be able to, uh, you know, understand the way that my body works. And so, you know, I'll watch, um, I'll watch my dance teacher do a move and I'll, I'll, then I'll do what I'll do the same thing. And I'll be like, okay, well, why doesn't it look the same on me that it looks on her? And like trying to sort of, um, you know, figure out the way my body works, um, the way that, you know, the, the tiniest little muscles in my body work. Um, and also, you know, I think of like choreography and putting together a choreography is much like putting together a, a book. Like it's, um, or like a story, you know, you're, you're figuring out things as you go, you're revising, you're like, okay, this doesn't quite work here. I have to look at this transition um, and, you know, make sure that this moves smoothly. Does it all make sense together? All of these things. Um, so, you know, even though I try to think of it as something really separate, like my writer brain is always like, no matter what I do, like I, I could be like, just, I don't know. Yeah. Like cooking or like walking my dog or whatever. And like my writer brain is like thinking of ways in which it relates to writing so, right no matter how much I try to keep it separate uh yeah it kind of uh it kind of works its way in you start to impose structure you start to impose some sort of narrative some sort of like I want to get in the works of it I want to see how this how a leads to b leads to yes. c yes that's exactly it and I also kind of just like to think in terms of like if I, I feel like if I put everything in terms of like writing it's something that I understand. So mm, it makes right. it easier for me to understand what's going on. I'm like, okay, if I can think of like the changes in this choreography as like the revision process, that <laughs> makes sense to my brain. <laughs> right. This is just the third draft. I'm just, yeah, I'm just exactly. working on a draft. Right. 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 <laughs> in terms of socially, is there like the people that know you as a dancer? I mean, obviously they know you're a writer as well. <laughs> how do they relate to that world? Like if they come to a launch or a reading or do they ever, or do you just not tell them like, you're like, please don't come and see me just standing holding a book. Cause yeah, I mean, I started that way, <laughs> but it's really hard to keep it from people when you're a writer. Like, I don't know if you've ever tried, but <laughs> um, you know, I remember like working at chapters early in my career and I'm like, I'm not telling anyone I have a book out. Cause I had like, this is after my short story collection came out and I'm like, I just didn't want them to know. And of course, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously it's a bookstore, they're going to figure it out, but um, yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, keeping those, those worlds separate, it can be really, really hard. Um, when I was dancing in Thunder Bay, um, I had a real, like I, I was with like the same uh, troupe for a really long time and we became really good friends. So everybody was like, like this, this was like over the course of when my first novel came out and everybody was so massively supportive. It was, it was actually really like, like, I was just like, do you guys, it's not really that big of a deal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? um, and I, you know, I think it's, it's, but I, I just think that anybody who works in any kind of artistic discipline, like understands what a big deal it is to actually, you know, have some success in, in any, whatever field it is. So even, you know, since I've been dancing in Hamilton, like I was actually, oddly enough, a lot of the um, people that I dance with are writers. 
Um, oh, <laughs> I think, weird. Okay. Yeah, I think that there's a bit of a like, a, like a, I don't know, some sort of correlation there. Um, and yeah, I think it's the same thing. Like, you know, we all sort of understand that we're working in um, artistic disciplines that, you know, don't necessarily always get a lot of um, a lot of attention or, you know, that it can be a real struggle to like, make a life in or have success in so you know everybody's like super supportive but it is it's also like yeah it's a little bit strange to because I feel like I feel like the writing world is so it's a bit insular right and it's a bit Mm -hmm. like for those of us that understand it like you know you go to a reading and you're like you know what to expect and sometimes it's like sometimes it's wonderful and like surprising and sometimes it's like super cringy and horrible right and uh you know so it's kind of like you know bringing people from other parts of my life into that sphere I I almost sometimes feel like I have to apologize for it I'm like <laughs> you know so, this is this is kind of what it's like uh yeah. sorry this probably that reading's gonna go really long and like maybe you know so I I just feel like yeah it's it's it, it, but I think it can be helpful for writers to be able to see our world through outside eyes yeah like, that like larger perspective I feel like that's underrated advice for writers that that should be more should be more widespread is this idea of it 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 makes it reminds me of advice i got before my first book launch in toronto and it was happening at the gladstone hotel and the person who was running it running the event weeks earlier said don't just invite your writer friends invite everybody else because writer friends will not buy the book (laughs) (laughs) they will expect a free copy or whatever their publisher will give them one but it's also a sense of if you invite people in from outside, like, quote unquote, civilians, yeah, like you get a little more joy and you get that like, wow, you wrote a book. And sometimes you just need that to power you through those yeah. moments where it's a reading to five people. But if four of those are non-writers, they're like, wow, that's amazing. You got up there and you re- you wrote this and you need that little bit of boost. Yeah. I mean, even being like, I've been at like book launches where people have brought in people from other worlds that they're part of, and they're just so much more enthusiastic. Yeah. yeah. Like I often feel, I mean, because, you know, because I'm a theater person and I tend to be loud and I tend to be like, you know, really uh, like I like to cheer and clap. And, you know, often I feel like I'm the loudest person in the room and it can be embarrassing. So (laughs) (laughs) I need to bring my people along with me. Yeah. (laughs) You know, for me, a book launch especially is like, you know, it's supposed to be like a celebration. Right. And at my last book launch, you know, I had uh, someone on stage interviewing me, but, you know, I was like, let's just try to keep it like not too, uh, you know, I don't want to like bore anybody. I just wanted right. to be like quick and, you know, it's sort of like, it's sort of like getting married. It's like, are you going to have like two hour long vows or are you just going to have. <laughs> Put all the money into the bar. Put yeah, all exactly. The money into the open bar. Yeah. yeah. That's always my, my, uh, my motto really. <laughs> yeah. Your first book, uh, What Boys Like came out. 15 years ago does it ever enter your head that you're like one of those fabled mid-career writers at this point like you have this career behind you I know it's it's uh it's yeah it's very strange I have like a shelf um that because I still have I'm very lucky to have you know I mean I don't think of myself as like a pack rat or anything. I've moved around quite a bit, but like I, one thing that I've taken with me everywhere is like, I have copies of every publication that I've ever had. So like going mm. back to like my first, like flash fiction piece in the new quarterly, <laughs> I have them all. And sometimes I look at them and I'm like, and then now there's like, you know, cause I don't write so many short stories anymore. So I don't, you know, there's not like, like it, it changed from like magazine, magazine, magazine to like book. <laughs> Which right, right, right. Really, you know, it's it it's kind of yeah, it's it's really um 
it's really mind-boggling like 2009 my when my short stories came out I thought okay that's it I'm a writer now hooray <laughs> like right. you know I remember I actually literally remember thinking like oh I'm not gonna have to like update my resume because like I can quit all my jobs like yeah. I didn't have any clue what the reality of the industry was like and of course that book came out and like it did you know fairly well for a short story collection um in Canada like it got reviewed and you know I got to go to some festivals and that was you know sort of my first like taste of what it was like to be a writer and then um I I got my agent because of that book and then you know nothing like <laughs> right I just like went back to my regular life and I thought you know okay well um now I've got to regroup so I wrote a novel and um you know that didn't sell it just nobody wanted it um and so I started thinking okay what am I going to do and I sort of went back and like went back to my roots and started writing more short stories and that sort of you know started building up again from the bottom so it was like I mean it's it, looking back it doesn't seem like that long but like from 2009 when the stories came out to 2016 when the first novel came out felt like an eternity <laughs> it's like right, this right. isn't how my career is supposed to go right it's supposed to like naturally like you know build and build and build but I felt like I had like you know, I was like, is this my peak? Like, am I just going to publish this one book and it's never going to go anywhere again? And and I did kind of have to reevaluate at that point and think, okay, well, you know, if I do have to start from scratch, am I okay with that? Like, am I, am I okay going back and like prostrating myself to the literary submission gods? <laughs> like, right. trying to get, trying to get short stories published again. And, and I did, I was like, yeah, I mean, I can't picture myself doing anything else. I'm not really like a, I'm not really this person who like felt like, called to be a writer from the beginning I knew that I wanted to like tell stories I know that I love entertaining people I know I love making art and but the main thing I knew is that I didn't want to work a nine-to-five job <laughs> um, that I wanted to work for myself and that I you know as I wanted to like have as few people uh collaborating with me as possible so that's why writing was so appealing so yeah I thought okay I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna start again and you know because like your debut novel is like a really big deal right and like mm -hmm your publisher makes a really big deal about it the world makes a really big deal about it but then like as you know so you sort of think like okay again like it's like up and up and up from here but it's not necessarily the case right so like when my second book came out and you know like it did really well and like I you know I had like a base readership who were like really excited about it and like I did get reviews but there wasn't nearly like the hype that there was around the first novel and I was like oh okay well uh this is, you know, this is, I felt like I was going backwards in some way. And I know that like, you know, and it, it's felt that way as well with the, with the third novel, um, a little bit and not backwards in terms of like my, cause I feel like I, you know, my writing is improving and like, I'm, I'm growing as a writer, but I feel like, you know, those expectations of like, and I guess it's also cause I didn't have any expectations around the novel. I was like, I was like, okay, my novel's coming out. And then all of a sudden it was like on the bestseller list. And I was like, is that a big deal? I don't know. <laughs> but now yeah. I'm like, it needs to be on the bestseller list. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, my expectations have changed. Um, and the, But also I think like the industry has changed. It feels like since 2016, um, you know, things have shifted quite a bit um, in terms of, you know, what people want to read um, and the way that things are marketed and, and publicized. You know, I, I see a huge difference and you probably do too between, you know, um, or like just with like social media and the way that like, you know, bookstagram and like book talk and stuff like that ha has grown. I've always had the theory like with social media that, um, you know, it should be organic. 
Like mm -hmm. I, I'm not going to force myself to like have a book talk because I know it will be terrible. Yeah. Sorry. I went off the tangent there, but yeah, I feel like, you know, when you look back at a career, it, it's, it's, there's a lot of up and down. There's mm -hmm. it's not like, it's never going to be like this, this like constant upward trajectory that you think it's going to be, which is sort of what I imagined it would be at, at the beginning. Um, You know, so there's, but that's also that you know that's also because you're constantly setting the bar higher for yourself and your expectations change. So I'm really happy with the way everything has gone. You know, I'm happy that um, you know I found a really amazing home with my publisher, which I you know for me that's all you can ask for. Like I have an amazing editor that I love and um, who I work really well with, and that that to me is like you know I've made it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Just going back for one second, you mentioned the sort of, you know, the the social media strategies that can feel a little inorganic. They can yeah. feel like someone has penciled that in on a calendar somewhere, like yes. do mood board yeah. two days before launch kind of thing. I'm always amused when someone tries and you you feel like they're just, they're way out in the deep end in a world they don't understand. And they've someone told them like, you should do a Instagram live or Instagram feed and then you click on it. It's like them in a dark room yes. and you can sort of just see half their face and it's out of, and it, like they're, you're hitting it at minute 45 and they're just talking in a monotone and you're like, oh, you should have just stuck with like posting something like a, just a photo of the cover or something yeah. like that. <laughs> I, I mentor a lot of like emerging writers and that's one of the things that I was taught because that's always a question I get is like should I you know do I need to have like all these social media accounts and you know I I honestly like I don't know how much that translates into sales like mm -hmm. I I've never I mean I'm sure someone has uh data out there about how how that works but you know in terms of like I mean my milieu was always Twitter like I love Twitter I love mm -hmm. you know as soon as I discovered that there you know I used to have a blog pre-Twitter and then I was like oh I can just like put my thought in whatever how many characters it was back then and not have to like write an entire blog post that was you know that was perfect for me so I you know and I I didn't have like a massive Twitter following but I had you know a fairly decent sized Twitter following and like I don't think I don't I don't know how many like of those people actually bought my book when it, right, when it, when it right. came out you know if you have like you know 30,000 followers then it probably probably you know does translate at least in some in some way but like on those on the like small potatoes scale of things where I'm operating it doesn't really and I, I feel like it's kind of the same for Instagram the thing that I found that I found um interesting and different with Instagram is like you know there's a lot of people on there who they're not writers they're just readers and they post a lot about books and you know that's where I'm like, okay, these are people who like are posting because they love books. They're probably also getting a lot of free books, which is cool. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And, you know, these are the people who like that. That's the way it should be, right? Like it should be like readers posting about their books and not authors trying to like uh, get in on that. Buy me, buy this, please. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which I, I mean, I think obviously like some level of self-promotion, like I'm, I'm definitely a shameless self-promoter. I'm out there posting constantly about my book um, or as much as I can, but you know, I, I don't, um, I don't try to fit it into any sort of like template of like the way that I think that that should look. If you're just constantly self-promoting and there's no other content, <laughs> there's nothing else. Right. That's I mean, I'm really lucky. I have a very photogenic dog that yeah. people really <laughs> love. So I just put my book in front of him and I'll get. <laughs> <laughs> there's also, there's also that whole concept that 
in the in the prehistorical days when people would be like, well, I want a, an ad in the Globe and Mail book section. Even that won't really sell books. But what it does is it just kind of like it's that rule of like if they see your title or they see the cover five times, maybe they're a little more likely to pick it up next time they're in a bookstore. But there's no one to one relationship. It's more ambient. Oh, I, I get this all the time, too, where people are like, oh, your book's doing really well. And I'm like, really? It's because I keep showing you the cover. That's why you I have done my job and I've fooled you into thinking that it's everywhere. And that's why having that, I mean, like yours is so great because it has that, you know, the duck on the cover and everyone remembers that. And I mean, you know, as like working as a bookseller, like you have people come in and they're like, oh, I want the book. Like I I worked in chapters when um, Miriam Taze's book with the... With the chicken? Yeah. Chicken and the axe? Yes. Complicated kindness. Yes. Thank you. Um, when that came out and people would just come in and be like the chicken book. And I'm like, okay, obviously the I know. Chicken. <laughs> We used to also get like a, a list of like books that had been talked about on CBC because like, you know, people would listen and they would never catch anything about it. They just, you know, they'd be like, I don't know. It's, it has a title with like a bird in it or like, you know, right. so, uh, or they, they'd be like, well, it was on at like 2 15 PM today. And I'm like, yeah, like I'm listening constantly. <laughs> yeah. <to> <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, who knows, who knows what, like, I mean, again, somebody knows. Somebody knows what there's data out there. There's some sort of algorithm. There is, that's yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think you're right. I think it, you know, a lot of it is like just um, repeated exposure, right? Like you think, um, you know, you think something's doing really well because you see it everywhere and then you want to be a part of that. So you want to buy it. You know, I think short of like getting Taylor Swift to hold up your book at a Chiefs game, you're probably not going to, you know, uh, have a one-off that really... <laughs> Yeah. And even that, I mean, I remember interviewing Ken Opal, the the kids writer, years and years ago for, for Cool Inquire. And one of the things I talked to him about was one of his more recent novels. I think it was Half Brother, which is actually really good. This was a while back. Mm -hmm. It had landed on then President Obama's like end of year list oh, as wow. one of his one of his like book picks of the year. And he even said like, yeah, we all expected like, all right like open the warehouse the, and back up the truck. And he's like, you know, it did okay, but it wasn't yeah. like flying off the shelf. Now I'm going to cross that goal off my list. Yeah, it's not as, Obama's yeah. So you can stop emailing yeah. Obama. Yeah. And just, just stop sending him the info at Obama.com. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Obviously, uh, We're All In This Together was a bestseller and did get talked about a lot. And now there is a film. It wasn't like, a, a life of pie situation where it's selling in the billions and Jan Martel will always have however many books he writes, it will always say by the author of life of pie. Yeah. But on a, on a smaller scale, was there a sense of like that book kind of casting a shadow and obviously it's a good problem to have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think in terms of like, like readers expectations, it makes it kind of hard to, um, to sort of diverge from that or to um, expand in your, the things that you want to write about. So like um, not so much with Pebble and Dove, but with um, every little piece of me, my second book, um, you know, we're all in this together is very, very distinctly about a dysfunctional family. Mm -hmm. um, and every little piece of me is not, <laughs> um, you know, it's about two women, both of whom are sort of, um, becoming like famous and so it's about like them dealing with fame and uh sort of the fallout of that so 
And I think pe that threw people off because they were expecting there, you know, I sort of got labeled like the dysfunctional family writer. Right, right. <laughs> um, and every that's what everybody expected from me. And, um, you know, so part that was partially on my mind when I was writing Pebble and Dove. I was like, all right, well, people want me to write about families. I'm going to write about families. Um, but then, you know, on the, on the same token, like, you know, I was also writing about manatee. So, <laughs> you know, I think I, so I think in, in some ways, like people do like, it's not so much that the book itself is casting a shadow in terms of like how well it did or like the impact that it had, but it's more about for me, at least as, you know, thinking about it from, you know, a writing perspective is like what people expect from me as a writer and how much I can diverge from that and still hold on to the base readership that I got from that book. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I don't know, it's, it's like kind of like a balancing act because, you know, I do like, I really, you know, I write for readers. Like I write for my readers. I really respect them. I love them a lot and um, I want to give them what they want. Right. Um, right. But at the same time, you know, I'm interested in a lot of different things and, you know, sort of exploring a lot of different uh, aspects of humanity and of life. And so, um, you know, I, and, and also pushing the boundaries in terms of, um, you know, just writing style as well. Um, you know, I want to try different things. Like I don't always want to be writing, even though I, I will probably always end up writing like a multi point of view, third person book. Um, that just seems to be the way that, you know, but like, if at some point I wanted to write something really different, like, would I lose that, you know, would I lose my readers because of that? If I wanted to try something a little bit more experimental craft wise with that, with that, have I pigeonholed myself into a place where if I want to do anything different, I have to write under a pen name. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Does any of that expectation also come from like the business side? Like is is your editor at MS or your agent? Do you feel like you could come to them with a new manuscript that was, you know, first person monologue set in 1803? <laughs> Some complete departure. Yeah. I mean, that's a good question, <laughs> actually. Um, yeah, I mean, I've never felt pushed in any direction. Um, you know, I've but I've never also pushed. So I don't mm. really know. I mean, I am, no matter what I'm writing, I'm always going to be me. Right. So I'm always still going to like, I feel like it's going to, it's impossible for me to write it. Something that was like, just like, for instance, like flat out bleak. Right. Mm. Like I, I just don't, I mean, I, I will read books like that sometimes, but like, that's not, that's not what I like to read. It's not what I like to write. I like, you know, having a balance and, you know, we've talked about this before about like, uh, you know, humor, for instance, and like pathos and just, um, you know, how, uh, like, I just don't think I could write something that didn't have that in it. Um, my voice is always going to be my voice. So, um, but yeah, I think like structurally, for instance, if I tried something really out there, I feel like they'd be on board, um, you know, just be, uh, sort of a question of uh how to market it I guess at that point I'm just like leave that in your hands but like I I will say I've never felt pushed to you know if I when I come to my editor or my agent with a book and I'm like this is what I'm working on they're like all right we're gonna make this as the best version of this book that we can make it um even if it you know features a manatee like they rolled with that okay I mean it's not that far out there but like it it is something that you know maybe I don't know if if another editor would have been able to be like, all right, we're going to, we're going to make this uh, book about a manatee as uh, widely relatable as possible. Well, speaking of like books that you will be bringing to your editor or your agent, I do have to ask, 
when is the inevitable librarians of florida novel coming <laughs> this is the reality show that uh yes that... this is the reality show that it's, it's popped up in a couple of my books now i have i've i've decided i'm 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 going to do this whole like Taylor Jenkins read thing where like I've created this entire pop culture universe of my own. Yep. It's just going to keep recurring every book. So like eventually... Amy Jones verse. It's all yes, exactly. Exactly. So once um once I've once I've sort of uh, inserted librarians of Florida into enough books, there'll be enough demand for it that uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll make a whole series. <laughs> That's slick marketing, right? Yes, there. exactly. I should also say that while I was doing some research for this, I discovered that there is a not only a librarian in Florida, but the director of an entire regional library system named Amy Jones. Shut there up. Is an, really? There is a there is literally an Amy Jones on LinkedIn. Oh my god! Who runs an entire library system in Florida? I feel you need to loop that Amy in on this project. I think so. And in fact, now I'm coming up with this entire like. Uh, narrative where there's some sort of like identity switching I've been really interested oh. always in that because like there's so many Amy Joneses out there and it's particularly Amy Joneses who are writers and like I've had uh experiences where I've had to like figure out how to like unattach their books from my books on Goodreads or like on Google I've had people like message me being like help everyone thinks I'm you like in the library system right. or whatever um, and you know they're all really different like one person writes like educational books for children um you know there's another one that writes like sort of romance erotica books so like they're obviously not my books when you look at them but yeah there's a lot and then you know for years I was I've been I still get emails for another Amy Laura Jones <laughs> and it's like it's she's a real person because like many years ago her teacher emailed me her uh, homework because she was sick. And I was like, I felt bad. So I emailed back. And did you uh, do it? You why didn't did. you do it for her? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, then many years later, her real estate agent emailed me with her like papers to sign for her house. Oh, no. And I was like, oh, God. And I, I emailed them a couple of times because they kept emailing me. And I was like, you guys, this is not good. <laughs> this, oh, I'm not man. the right person. I don't even, she lives in the UK. I'm like, I don't even, anyway. So I have this like, and this has been going on my entire, like since I had my Gmail account. So I think, um, yeah, I've, I've always sort of had this like weird obsession with like, you know, doppelgangers or like people with the same name as you. I guess I should read that Naomi's line book. I was about to say, there's... <laughs> There's the first place you go for the blurb yes. is right to Naomi Klein. Yes, exactly. But yeah, I could have this whole, yeah, librarians of Florida. Yeah. I ruined her life by making this book, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> everyone thinks it's, everyone thinks she wrote it. <laughs> what Happened Next is produced and edited by me. The music playing under my voice is by the great Alex Lukashevsky who is letting me use it for free. You can find more of Alex's music at alukashevsky.bandcamp.com. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. There will be a new episode every Monday. Please buy more books, and not just new ones.